Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, October 24th, 2017. Are you ready for a now prophetic word? Yeah, it, it, this is hot off the press. This is as now as now gets. <laughs> Details in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy, bizarre things being said out there. We take the time to, you know, actually open up the Bible, yeah, look at God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, uh, kind of like the general termite infestation that the church is experiencing. Uh, and we compare and contrast what they are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Yep. This is a politically incorrect program. There's, yeah, that's just the way it is. We name names, we play sound bites in context, we compare, and for some, this is uh, the experience of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And for others, you're sitting there going, What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> you know, I'm not so certain. I, I get it. It might feel like theological waterboarding, but trust me, give it a few weeks and you'll get it. You'll have one of those aha. Moments, and uh, as the new term that people are using nowadays, you'll be woke, woke. But once you get woke, you can't be unwoke, and uh, you realize, oh my, yeah, I've been deceived. That's that's what we're trying to help you experience and understand here, so that you can find a good church, so that you can get a pastor who is faithful to preach the word and proclaim the gospel to you. Kind of important stuff. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's uh, Tuesday episode of Fighting for the Faith. Um, we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, uh, kind of a twin spin, if you would. We're going to first check in with uh, Kay Nash. Uh, yeah, it's not even uh, it, November yet. I mean, here we are, and it's October, and November will be here next week. And uh, but she, she has kind of like interrupted her regularly scheduled prophetic broadcasting uh, because apparently she has received a now 
prophetic word from God. Now, 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 now. So, uh, you know, we always help out in those cases to make sure those now prophetic words get out, you know, in a timely fashion because, you know, audience amplification is a important vital part of getting out now prophetic words. Uh, while we're there, we're going to check with uh, Patricia King and her uh, guest, Anna Werner, as they explain to us the seer's path. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> We'll check in with them. Uh, We'll switch gears and check in with Joyce Meyer as she explains to us what it means to be doing life with God. Are you doing life with God? (laughs) Just, you know, it's just one of these weird phrases. You sit there and go, what is the cash value of that phrase, doing life with God? And, of course, coming from Joyce Meyer, uh, the cash value of that phrase may not be very high, and uh, then we're going to check in with uh, Beth Moore, and um, she's been doing a series on her, um, her her TBN program, and the series is titled Watermarked. And again, just weird. It, it's weird in this sense. She's going to be exegeting, or at least attempting to exegete, Genesis chapter 1, and she does a fine job of actually reading the text, pointing out some of the interesting highlights of the text, and then unexpectedly just takes the 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 the, the car and steers it into a ditch. I mean, I, I didn't even see it coming. It, it was <laughs> that quick. And uh, and then we're going to head to uh, Cross Point Church out in Nashville as we listen to Annie Downs. Um, preaching from John chapter 4, which she shouldn't be doing at all. You, you women are not permitted to preach. Um, and uh, and she's going to be teaching us how to get over being overwhelmed. Yeah, so if, you were, if you're trying to figure out how, how, how exactly do you go about getting over being overwhelmed, no worries. Annie Downs is going to explain that to us. So... That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. we got a lot of ground we need to cover since we're going to be doing a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin. Let's start this way. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts and. Uh, so uh, we're heading over to the prophetic YouTube channel of uh, self-appointed prophetess um, Kay Nash, a young woman who clearly has bought into the 
false teachings of the um, prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, so much so that uh, she thinks she's a um, prophetess of God and uh, that God speaks directly to her. So uh, she's um, interrupted her normally scheduled monthly prophetic updates. Uh, She gives us prophetic words for each of the new months uh, nowadays. And uh, she has given us a now word. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, a week before November starts. uh, She's already receiving, you know, like, you know, pre-gleanings of the prophetic, I guess. Here's Kay Nash to explain. Hi, and welcome back to Living Well. I'm Kay Nash, and I have a quick prophetic word for you. I know normally I only give words um, in the beginning of each month, so I do the October word, and I'm going to have a November word, so this is not my November word. This is just... Yeah, glad you clarified that. <clears throat> something that I was feeling and I wanted to share. You, you were feeling this. So when the word of God comes to somebody, it's a feeling? Uh-huh. Um, also, I wanted to say really quick thank you to all of you who ordered my Holdest CD. Um, I have to make a new batch um, from what I had. So thank you for ordering those, and I hope it really blesses you um, and brings revival to you and your area. And, of course— Yeah, how, how could a, uh, a twisting of God's word from a woman who is a false prophetess bring revival to a region? If you haven't ordered that, you could go to knash.com. Now, I want to jump into the word. The word I'm hearing is now, and this is specifically what I heard from the Lord. All right, so she's written this down. She's she's received this directly from God via a feeling. Yeah, a feeling, and this is the prophetic word now. So what you're going to hear next coming from Kay Nash is her reading out, explaining, and exegeting this, um, this direct feeling that she received from the Lord. Now it comes to pass. Now it springs forth. Now it will move out of the way. Hallelujah. It what what will move out of the way? Due season. The old things are taking down and new things are arising. Now he plants. The uprooting is to be replanted, and oh, it's going to be a big tree. Uh, yeah, I'm you know, kind of at a loss for understanding at the moment. It's time to get rid of bad things in your life. I mean, wouldn't every day be a good day to get rid of bad things in your life? And if by bad things you mean sinful things that we need to repent of, be forgiven of, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, you know, that kind of thing. I just, but now, 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 now is the time to get rid of bad things in your life. <laughs> okay. What the Lord's saying right now is you need to rid your life of bad things. Right now. You, 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 yesterday you could have kept them, but not now. Jesus. And you might be saying, Lord, I want my things. Well, in order to get your new things, you have to get rid of your old things. Uh-huh. So is this the doctrine of spring cleaning? Um, so just old things have got to go. How old is old in this particular sense? Is, is, 
If I've owned it for more than five years, 10 years, 15, is that considered old? What if I've really grown fond of the old thing that I have and I'm not really looking forward to any new things? You know, it's like, you know, I'm kind of old and set in my ways. I mean, I'll be 50 next year. So that being the case, I mean, I'm just thinking that, you know, having radical change where I've like just throw old stuff away in the expectation that new stuff is just going to arrive. Will will Amazon be delivering it? How exactly does this work? need to be asking the Lord right now, what are the old things in my life that I need to get rid of? What are the new things that I'm believing for? Because I'm telling you, if you don't make room for yeah. what God wants to do. It's not just room. It's room. If you don't make room. Okay. It's not faith. Yeah. That's not faith, you know? No, it's not faith. If you don't make room. I have a... I have a story um, that I needed fabric when I was first starting my pillow company and I ran out of fabric and I didn't know what to do. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, move everything off your shelf as if there was room for all of this fabric. And so I took everything off the shelf and I made all this room. Well, you know what? The very next day, a girl that I had met only once or twice gave me 40 yards of fabric. And for those of you who know, like yards and fabric and stuff which i don't um that's a lot of fabric i'll trust you on that one and so i got rid of the old thing to make room for the new you have to do it before it happens not when you gotta there you gotta do it before you know because it happens like that, yeah. Happens before it happens in faith that it's going to happen because we move towards things that are unseen. We do. <laughs> I can't say I've been doing that. Um, you usually I move towards things that are seen, and if there are things that are unseen, I you flip the lights on. I learned long ago, long ago when I my kids were smaller. That, uh, that you know, the, they talk about fire walking being, you know, a potentially painful experience. But I've learned that fire walking is nothing compared to Lego walking. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had bare feet in the middle of the night walking across, you know, maybe the living room floor of your house or maybe even your own bedroom floor in one of the hallways and you, and you in, unexpectedly s- step on a Lego. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, I'm just saying. So normally I I don't walk towards things that are unseen at all. In fact, I turn the light on so that I can only walk towards things that are seen because walking where the unseen things are could result in like unplanned Lego walking, which is worse than fire walking. Just saying. If you want the unseen things, you got to walk towards it in the natural. You can't be like, maybe they'll have them. Walk towards it, Jesus, hallelujah. Walk towards it, Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, uh, again, quite at a loss at the moment. Um, I want my new clothes. I give you my maidservant clothes. That's something that I heard. I give, <laughs> I give you my maidservant clothes. Is that a properly constructed sentence? My maidservant clothes. Give the Lord your maidservant's clothes. You are not a maidservant anymore. Okay. I've never been a maidservant. I'm just saying, although 
I understand that people nowadays, you know, who are born male, if they wanted to, they could self-identify as a maidservant, but I don't. Ooh, I feel the Lord. You are a child of the living God. You are a child of the living God. You are not a maidservant anymore, Jesus. <laughs> Just Somebody help this poor woman. I think she needs mental um, help. God, give me my royal clothes. Give me my royal clothes. Hallelujah. Mm. The next word I heard was sprout. Was that the yummy sound? Sprouting. I saw a vision of um, this little sprout. By sprouting, I mean like, you know, when a little plant comes up and they call it like a sprout. It's like a little tiny plant. Yeah. Um, that was cut down by a tractor. So there was this little plant. And- a whole tractor cut down a little sprout. Yeah. It doesn't take much to cut a sprout. I'm just saying. You don't need a whole tractor for that. There was a tractor and it cut down the plant. And that, that's what we call overkill. I felt like the Lord said, you are going to be bigger than that tractor. Uh-huh. You see, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to lose weight. I do not want to be bigger than a tractor. So I, 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 I'm pretty much, I, well, that's all about all I can handle from her. I, I, I think that this is uh, really sad. She's clearly a young woman in need of mental help of some kind. Um, wow. Okay, so uh, next up, we're going to head over to Patricia King's um, XP Media and uh, check in with uh, her and uh, a guest. Her guest is named Anna Werner. And uh, the, the topic of uh, this episode of Everlasting Love is the seer's path. The seer's path. Um, we'll let Patricia King set this up. Here we go. Well, hello there and welcome to Everlasting Love. We're going to talk about seer anointing today. And we have uh, with us Anna. Anna- uh, the seer anointing. Okay. We are so excited that you're here because you are the author of The Seer's Path. Mm-hmm. And you. I'm sure it's a XP Media imprint. I've been actually operating a Seer anointing since childhood. Really? <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Do, do you mind if I'm skeptical of the claim? And so I, I want to um, ask you a number of questions about your book, but also about The Seer Anointing because we want you to be connected to all that God has for you in this realm because every believer can see. Um, it would, um, do you mean every believer can prophetically see into the seer realm? I mean, where in the scripture does it say that? And by the way, as far as spiritual gifts go, when you read 1 Corinthians 12, just a fair reading in context, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that God, the Holy Spirit, gives differing gifts to the body. Mm -hmm. And these differing gifts to the body are a variety. And, you know, for instance, like the gift of prophecy, Paul asks the question, are all prophets? The answer is no. And the Greek is actually quite clear on this. And then, you know, the Apostle Paul asks the question, are all apostles? And the answer again is no. And uh, so that being the case, I'm not sure what you mean when you say that all Christians can see. Can you 
show me a biblical text that says that all Christians can see uh, in the way that you're talking about it, and maybe we can look at the text, you know, in the original languages and, you know, do some commentary work on it, see if that's what God's Word really says. I mean, I'd like to see this seer anointing text that you think that you're talking from. Every believer has spiritual eyes, including you. And even during this program, they can be unlocked. So, Anna, we're... So people have locked spiritual eyes. Okay. Tell us about the seer's path. Well, I wrote the book. The Lord asked me to write it, and it was... He, he did? <laughs> Are you sure about that? Um, you, you sure God asked you to write this? I mean, because that would make it on par with, like, you know, the Bible. The journey writing a book, but I wrote it because God showed me that, you know, I had been a seer for many years, but like many other seers I know that are out there, you kind of get isolated in it, you know, and I felt like... <laughs> um, okay, uh, another young woman who I think needs mental help. The Lord was saying there's many other people out there yeah. that need to know. Yeah, yeah many, many. Because you can get, like, isolated in the seer thingy, right? But a see, and it's available Amen. for everybody. Uh, yeah. Do you have a biblical text that says that? The thing, sometimes we read books or we hear stories about people mm-hmm. going to heaven, and we're like, wow. I think it's for them. That's an amazing <laughs> story, but that's not for Yeah, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I am pretty sure there's no heavenly tourism going on. You know, I'm not gifted in that, but it's like... You think of like Lazarus. I mean, from John chapter 11, you know, Lazarus, he died. He was dead for several days. Uh, So much so that uh, when Jesus said to roll the stone back from his grave, um, there was a little bit of a protest. Lord, uh, he's been dead for three days now. His body stinketh. Um... So, I mean, what's really interesting, I mean, he was dead for days after, and then Jesus raises him from the dead, and um, Lazarus doesn't go on a, you know, a book tour. He doesn't write a book, you know, My Three Days in in Heaven uh, by Lazarus, and (laughs) like nothing of the sort. And so, you know, I just, just saying here. Come on now. First Corinthians, I mean, it says, eagler desire all the gifts. So that's my heart is to help people give train tools on how eagerly desire all the gifts. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 makes it clear that um, God gives gifts that are differing. In fact, let's take a look at that. Yeah, because uh, the text that she was quoting, she misquoted. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God can ever say Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, another the utterance of knowledge, another according to the same Spirit 
um, you know, uh, 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 another faith by the same spirit, another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and another the working of miracles, um, and another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he, the Holy Spirit, wills. You're going to note here, first 11 verses is an argument for variety of gifts. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit you were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the Greek word there, melos, actually, many members, yet one body. Uh, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, um, you know, uh, uh, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent Way. So you'll note there that 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the verse that she was referencing, she misquoted it and said, earnestly desire all the gifts, yet no. <laughs> the whole argument of 1 Corinthians 12 is that God the Holy Spirit wills to give differing gifts. Not all our prophets, not all our not all speak in tongues, not all heal. You kind of get the idea there. Um so uh we're already off. Uh, you know, on, uh, well, a bad start, if you would. Uh, but we technically are up on our first break, so we're going to have to take care of that first before we come back to this. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at 
Irish quick break when we come back. A little bit more of uh, Patricia King and Anna Werner. Then we'll get to Joyce Meyer and Beth Moore. Lord willing, stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Yeah, just up ahead is a path that will lead us to the main highway. Yeah, I, I hear the traffic from here. That was a nice little hike. I do enjoy this trail. It's just a simple three-hour hike. Hey, what's that up ahead? I have no idea. Let's check it out. It looks like a journal of some sort. It's really beat up. Should we read it? Well, we've got nothing better to do. Sounds good to me. Day one. Today is my first day of the Emmaus Walk. My church counselor, Gary Sunshine, told me that if I went out into the wilderness and believed and trusted in Jesus, that Jesus would come and walk with me and communicate to me. So I packed enough provisions to last me for a few days. Day two. Still no sign of Jesus. I've dedicated myself to meditating to bring myself closer to his presence. I hope it happens soon. Day three. I think I figured out what I've been doing wrong. I haven't been trusting Jesus enough with my walk. Now I've decided to go to the deeper parts of this jungle because I don't think that Jesus would associate himself with just the fringes of the forest. I think he needs to see that I'm audacious, so I'm going to forget the comforts I've brought entirely. Looks like some of the pages have been ripped out. It doesn't pick up again until... Day 9. Today, my stock of toilet paper ran out, and still no signs from Jesus. I should have enough food to get me back to civilization, but I think that Mr. Sunshine will be disappointed that my journey wasn't more fruitful. I think it's because I wasn't listening hard enough to Jesus. Day nine and a half. I think I'm lost. I think I took a wrong turn. Everything is starting to look really foreign and unfamiliar. Day 14. Today, my tent was attacked by a bear and was ripped to shreds. I just barely escaped, but I'm going to have to start foraging for my own food. I can only hope that I find my way back. Day 34. 
Today, I came across an indigenous tribe that was building a large metal sphere that looked far superior to any military technology. I was chased by them for about 15 miles. I'm really hungry. Day 42. I don't think I'm ever going to get out, and I just realized that I don't think I left Mr. Snuggles enough food to make it for this long. So far, still no sign of Jesus or enlightenment. I'm beginning to think that Mr. Sunshine was lying about the Emmaus Walk. Day 88. I think I'm done. I've gone through months of hunting for food with... Nothing more than a spork from Chuck E. Cheese's. I'm not even hungry anymore. I don't think that's good. Day 102. If you're reading this, then I hope that you're not as miserably lost as I am. There's no way out. The Emmaus Walk walk is is a trap. If your church even so much as suggests the idea, then run for your life, because once you're on that path, there's no going back. I can promise you that Jesus is not in these woods. I can't blame him. I don't want to be here either. I can't do this anymore. I give up. She must have died while writing it. She wouldn't have written... She would have just said it and then died. Well, on any account, we'll never do an Emmaus walk. Yeah, I hear you there. Wait, have you ever heard of any of the mega pastors doing an Emmaus walk themselves? You know what? I haven't. (laughs) Maybe the world would be better off if they did. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Uh, Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could give you a proper biblical perspective regarding spiritual gifts, which would help you understand that what you've been taught by Pentecostals is straight up false. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. 
by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you decide. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to uh, Patricia King's um, Everlasting Love program while her and Anna Werner are explaining the seer's path. <clears throat> Here we go. To go there, how can other people see in the supernatural Jesus? So beautiful. You know, oftentimes we compare ourselves to another, just like you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time that I was going to be speaking at a, a prophet's conference, and I was invited to speak, and I was sitting in the lunchroom before we all started, and... And Bobby Connor was there. It was the first day that I met Bobby Connor. As you know, he's a great seer. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Bobby Connor. He is? I, 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 I challenge that. Yeah. How did you get acquainted with the prophetic? And he says, well, I had my first visitation of the Lord in the womb of my mother. Now, right away, I'm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> listen, um, I'm just saying. Um, I don't remember anything during my gestation period. Not, not a thing. N- not one. Th- In fact, my first memories are vague and kind of fuzzy from about three on. And then they start getting clearer the older I get. But nothing from like conception until three. There was no memories. Yeah, so for Bobby Connor to sit there and say, I received a vision from the Lord when I was in utero. Uh, yeah, no. I'm getting very intimidated because <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't remember nothing about being in the womb of my mother, let alone having a vision in that place, right? I thought, oh my gosh. And then Larry Randolph was sitting there. I said, well, how long have you been prophesying? And he says, well, since about two years of age. I said, two years of age, womb of your mother. And I knew that um, uh, both of them had prophesied very specific things. Bobby Connor had prophesied, mm-hmm. you know, when earthquakes were going to happen, who the next president was. Larry would call out people's names, addresses, and serial numbers, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing in this conference? And you start to compare yourself. And I thought, I've got basically one prophetic word, and it's God loves you with an everlasting love. And that's about the extent of it. And I felt so intimidated. I went into the bathroom and hid in the cubicle. I said, Lord, I don't want to come out because I was the first one to speak, mm-hmm. to open up the conference. And he said, you don't have to compare to anyone else. You are who you are. And you have something to give. And before we go any further, because wait till you hear Anna's testimony. It is remarkable. I don't want you to think, well, that's for her. But for me, I'm just, I, I don't really have much. Yes, you do. Yeah, I have Christ and I have the written word of God. I don't need any people claiming to have had visions in their mother's wombs or otherwise. And over and again, we've demonstrated quite clearly that Patricia King and her guests on her program 
are habitual twisters of God's Word. Anna Werner has already twisted God's Word from 1 Corinthians 12, and that already calls into question the entire premise of a program like this that claims that she is a seer, that she is able to see into the supernatural realm, and that she hears directly from God. If she were hearing directly from God, my question is, why isn't God saying to her, stop twisting my word and teaching false doctrine? Yeah, that's what you would expect. All right, moving along. Yeah, time for a Joyce Meyer update. You got to accentuate the positive healing. Mine ain't the negative and latch on. To the affirmative, don't mess with Mr. In-Between. You got to spread joy up to the maximum. Bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the sea. Yeah, that's right. So you got to yeah, accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. All right, so uh, we're going to head over to Joyce Meyer's uh, uh, Enjoying Everyday Life program. And for this particular episode, she will be preaching from Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church. Yes, you can tell because of the big, well, stadium with the big globe thingy going on there. And uh, we're going to be listening to Joyce Meyer as she explains to us what it means to be doing life with God. I again, I'm not exactly sure what the cash value of the phrase "doing life with God" is, uh, but uh, we've noted uh, as you know, many times here at, at uh, Fighting for the Faith, uh, Joyce Meyer is one of these um, ladies that um, doesn't rightly handle God's word, and uh, so we'll be paying attention to see if we can spot any troublesome portions of this particular message of hers about doing life with God. Here we go. You know, when, when we get a vision from God about something that we want, something good we want to see happen in our life. Yeah, it didn't take long. <laughs> like, first thing out of her mouth. When we get a vision from God about something good we want to have happen in our life. You see, all, the, uh, that's not a biblical doctrine. This is already not Christian. This is not biblical. We got a problem here, Houston. Uh you get a picture from God. You get an image yeah. of how things will be. Yeah. But he doesn't bother to tell you how long it's going to take to get there. Oh, I see. Okay. So I, I, when I get a vision, I'm going to see from God how things are going to be. But I'm never told how long it's going to take to get there. Right. Doesn't bother to tell you what the journey is going to be like or how much opposition you're going to have. He just shows you this done deal. Amen. Yeah, do you have a biblical text that says this? It's, it's kind of like going out and buying a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. Uh-huh. Just like a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. Um, before there were jigsaw puzzles, how did Christians understand this particular doctrine? That That's like my immediate question, because I'm pretty sure that jigsaw puzzles as we know them today are a fairly modern thing. You know, I, I I don't ever see any, like, woodcut drawings of people in the 16th century working on jigsaw puzzles. You pick out a puzzle based on the picture on the box. Right. You like the picture. Yeah. Well, when God gives you a dream for your life, you like the picture. Sounds good to me. Let's go all over the world and preach the gospel. Uh-huh. 
Right. So I, I, it's just like getting a, a picture on the box of a jigsaw puzzle. Again, biblical text, Joyce, do you have one for this? Sounds good. I want to own my own business. Sounds great. I want to lose 50 pounds. So God gives people visions about owning businesses and losing 50 pounds. Sounds great. I want to get in shape. Sounds good, God. I want to get this house so organized that I know exactly where everything is at all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure I, God would not tell me to do that because he knows that I would never do it. All for that. Are you with me? No. Yes, God. Get the garage cleaned out. Get every closet organized. Yes, I got the picture. So I need a vision from God telling me I need to organize my closets. <sighs> okay. And then you open up the box and you see what 5,000 pieces really look like. And all of a sudden you want to just faint. So cleaning the closets is like a 5,000-piece puzzle. Call me weird, but I don't got that much stuff in my closets. Like, what have I gotten myself into? Have you ever thought that? You stepped out into something, and then you thought, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? Well, you know, when you do a puzzle, you start with the edge pieces first because they're all pretty easy. So God usually in the beginning will give us some rather easy stuff to do. So God gives us edge pieces. Again, how did Christians before there were jigsaw puzzles understand this doctrine? That, that's my immediate question. Just to kind of get us started, you know. And um, the thing that I like to make a point out of is in most puzzles, especially if it's a scenery picture, which a lot of them are, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but 60 to 70% of the puzzle is all blue sky and green grass. Which is why I never do 5,000-piece puzzles. Just, you know, putting it out there. And I can tell you, some of you right now, you are so tired of putting together blue sky. Come on, who am I talking to today? Again... Do you have a biblical text that teaches this doctrine? Because I can't recall a single passage that tells us this. I mean, you're like, if I have to hunt for one more piece of green. But that's what a lot of life is. And nobody has a message to bring you that's going to change that. Yeah. What if I were to show up there and say, hey, listen, God's word doesn't teach any of this. That would be a different message, don't you think? And they'd be lying if they said that they did. But there is a way. There is a way that you can make ordinary, everyday life extremely extraordinary. Sounds so practical, doesn't, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. And that is when you learn how to do life with God. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm just scratching my head. What does that mean exactly, to do life with God? And that's an applause line. People were kind of sitting there going, um, do I, okay, I'll applause. Uh, okay. 
Now, that's the title of my message today, which is not hard. But what I'm going to share with you today was probably one of the most profound things that ever happened to me in my spiritual walk. All right. So profound thing. She learned how to do life with God. I just realized I didn't finish the story about Mike, so I'll go back and finish it. This okay. This morning, I realized I didn't finish a story I started last night. Um, so when Joyce Myers blows into town, she's it's a multi-day affair because she's got multiple episodes of her program she's trying to record. Mike became so serious as a Christian. And one night he was sound asleep and Penny woke him up and said, Mike, Mike, are you ever going to make me laugh again? And he said, what? What are you, what? What are you talking about? First he didn't get it. Then about a week later, his mother called him and said, Mike, are we ever going to talk about sports again? See, when he became a serious Christian, he forgot about everything else in life except just doing something that he thought was spiritual. And I remember going through the same thing where I actually felt guilty just doing anything ordinary. And even when I was doing ordinary things, I didn't enjoy them. I just wanted to rush to them and get them over with so I could do something that I thought was spiritual. You know why? Because I felt, I felt that I was more pleasing to God. Come on now, you're going to get this today. I felt that I was more pleasing to God if I was praying or studying the Bible or going to church than I could have been if I was watching TV or sweeping the floor. Uh-huh. I, okay, so uh, have you had the this experience yet? Because she's not exegeting a text. She's exegeting an experience from her life. And this has everything to do with learning how to do life with God. Okay. Do you know that lighting a candle in a church is no more sacred than lighting the candles on your two-year-old's birthday cake? Now, I'm not going to argue uh, with that. In fact, lighting a candle in church may not even be commanded. I mean, it might be an important thing to do. Maybe it's part of the church service or something like that. But we are all, as uh, Christians, we do our good works in our vocations. Vocation as husband, wife, father, mother, employer, employee. The, these, Those are the places where we do our good works. So you know, taking care of your children, being a attentive parent and parenting well, these are good works. So I would agree with her, at least on this point. It would be nice if she gave us a biblical text for that. By the way, if you want a biblical text, I would read the back end of uh, the epistle to the Ephesians, maybe starting at Ephesians 5, verse 1. If. If. You're doing it with and for God. Uh, if so, if if you're doing it with and for God, um, do I need God to light candles with me? What does that mean when I'm saying I'm lighting my kids' birthday candles with God? See, I, I now I'm confused. 
Now, I don't care what kind of a life you have. Yeah. You're never going to really enjoy your life because God won't let you. Right. So God won't let me enjoy life unless I light candles with him. If you try to do it apart from him. Explain what you mean by that, though. The way to bring enthusiasm into every ordinary day is to do ev- to learn learn Colossians 3, not just as a scripture, but something we put into practice in our life. Do everything in the name of Jesus, in dependence upon his person, giving praise and glory to him. All right, let's let's do our three rules for a sound biblical exegesis, which again are context Context and context. She um, was quoting uh, Colossians 3.17. And Colossians 3 is a great passage that teaches us what Christian sanctification looks like, what it what, you know gives us a picture of what this is all about. So we're going to start at uh, Colossians 3, verse 1, and kind of work our way through this. So if you have been raised with Christ, and if you're a penitent believer in Jesus and you're baptized, truly you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And here's the example of what's earthly. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You're going to note that uh, what is earthly is referred to as the sins, okay? The sinful desires. So on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked. Walked here is a, is kind of a Hebraism, talking about how you conduct your life when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And here's what you put away. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And you have already now put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then it goes on. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
And fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Now, you'll note, it doesn't say with, it says for. So everything you do, do it as if it's for the Lord, and you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. All right, so you kind of get the idea here. But what she's saying doesn't sound like it is clearly, clearly capturing what this passage is actually conveying and teaching. It sounds close, but it's you know, close only counts with hand grenades and horseshoes. Now, I don't think it counts with sound doctrine. Everything, everything that we do. I hope that I can convey to you in the little bit of time that I have this morning how life-changing this was for me. Okay. When I stopped dividing the sacred from the secular... And I realized that everything became sacred if I did it with and for God. Again, what do you mean by with, with God, with? I mean, the text I just read from Colossians in context, you know, it's for Christ. Yeah, we are obeying, doing everything unto him. But see, this again, this is just... It's off. It's it's not quite rightish, and of course, the part of the reason why it's not quite rightish is because it's all in the context of her opening statement regarding um, when God gives you a vision for your life. Maybe that's the problem there. All right, all right. So yeah, a little more tough to kind of figure out what was wrong there, but clearly something's off, and that's the issue. It began at the very beginning. She wasn't exegeting a text. She gave us a a doctrine that's not actually found in Scripture. All right, moving along. Able to narcissize a biblical passage faster than a hummingbird with three shots of espresso in its little tummy. It's time for Bible Twisting with Beth Moore. And this one doesn't make any sense to me. It's a message titled Watermarked. And she starts off so well. And then no sooner does she start well, she takes the steering wheel and just drives it off the road and into the weeds. So uh, brace yourself, grab a seatbelt, a helmet, and something to brace your neck with. It's time for Bible Twisting with Beth Moore. Here we go doing we're not going to stay in genesis um, one for very long but we're going to see our concept unfold very quickly in verses one through ten of genesis one in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters god said let there be light and there was light And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Now, so far, so good. She's just reading out the text and and I'm thrilled that she's reading out quite a large portion of the Bible. That is a very rare thing nowadays. The question is, what is she going to do with it? 
And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. In those 10 verses, there are certain words that are repeated over and over again. Of course, most profoundly and significantly, the name God over and over and over and over. And God said, and he said, let there be. And there was. All of these are repetitive terms in these 10 verses. But one term is second only to the repetition in the whole words that you have in those passages, to the repetition of God, and that is the repetition of the word water. We get no further than the second verse of Genesis chapter 1, before we see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Did you know that 71% of the earth's surface is covered in water? Yeah, I I learned that in grade school. The other 29% is, of course, continents or islands. But think overwhelmingly how much of this marble is water. I want you to think with me that 96.5% of all of those waters are oceans, salt water, saline. Only just the 3.5 is part of the fresh water that is on the surface of the earth, an earth covered in waters. That's why we see it when we tell, when we read something of, of uh, astronauts that have been in space and looked at the earth from such an, an inconceivable distance. Is it me or does it kind of feel like she's thrown that in there as filler? It just feels like filler to me. Why they describe it as looking like a blue marble because... They're looking at the waters that are reflecting. The waters are not blue themselves, of course we know, but they're reflecting the sky and the whole earth appears from a distance to be blue. And the waters were gathered together, Genesis 1.10 says, and he called them seas and God saw that it was good. It's an interesting thing in Genesis chapter 1 how often God says something is good because he doesn't start saying it was good until it becomes what will be of benefit to his prized creation when he creates man and woman in his image. Then he begins to say, and it was good. And Yeah, I, I'm going to have to say no to that. See, now she's wobbling. She, you know, she's read the text out, put some weird filler in there, and now she's made an assertion that I don't think you can actually justify from the text itself, claiming that, you know, it wasn't until it became useful for the purposes of the creation that God declared it good. Yeah, just a cold reading of Genesis 1 rules that out. She's stuck something into the text that isn't there. Yeah, she's she's wobbling badly. I, I get the feeling she's going to fall over in, at any moment now. And when he separated the land from the waters, where they'd be able to set their feet, he said, now that 
was good. Uh-huh. We're told in Genesis 2, 5 through 7, in fact, turn there for just a moment. I think you'll love this. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. In verse 6 it says, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God created the earth and covered it in water, separated the lands from the seas, and it was good. He took the dust from the ground and added the water to it, and he saw that it was very good. And so what I want you to understand with me is that in the Word of God, many rites of passage involve water. Now, this is true. This is Absolutely true. And all and in the Old Testament, that all, that all prefigures baptism. Peter makes it clear in his first epistle that the flood itself was a type and shadow of baptism. And you think of the children of Israel walking on dry ground through the Red Sea. Again, they were baptized. Scripture makes that clear. So you're you're correct there, Beth. Yeah, God has ordained that according to his good pleasure, he has ordained that we, his people, are constantly characterized by movement. Um, uh, what? God has ordained that we're constantly characterized by movement? Yeah, and it's at this point she's taken the wheel and she's heading off the road. In fact, I want to tell you something. The most important action verb in the whole covenant relationship of God with man, the most important action verb in the covenants of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the word geo, the word go. But Yeah, um, see, I, I, I get the feeling that... Um her lack of knowledge of the um, original languages is uh, popping out here. <clears throat> so, uh, for instance, in the New Testament, we read um, in Matthew 28 what's called the Great Commission. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, verse 17, chapter 28, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is where I think our English translations don't do us a favor. Uh, the, uh, the Greek word paruamai is what comes next, but it appears to us in its participial one of its participial forms, the aorist passive participle. It's not go as a command, go. Instead, a better translation would be as you are going, as you are being made to go, because it's a passive participle. As you are going, therefore, and make make disciples of all nations. The um, the The imperative, really, then, would be in the uh, make disciples thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we've got a p- another problem here. This 
Jesus, I promise you, anything God wants to lead you to, there will be something in between you and where you need to go. Uh, what? <laughs> um... Yeah, where are you getting? That's not in Genesis. Is that clear to everybody? Oh, what you said was perfectly clear. It was. It's not biblical. It's not a Christian doctrine, but it was clear. No matter what you're going through, no matter what season of your life, this I promise you, you can look at it over and over in the Word of God. When God says, I've got somewhere for you to go, he makes absolutely sure there is an obstacle between us and where we need to go. Why? So here we've got a problem here. This is a total misreading of Scripture. She doesn't understand what the Scriptures are about. They actually reveal Christ. They prophesy about him uh, in type and shadow and an explicit statement. He's the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Um, she thinks the Bible is some kind of an anthology of people who God has told to go places so that when God tells you to go somewhere, you can you can figure out from the pattern you know, that happened to them, what's going to happen to you and how you can overcome so that you can arrive at the place you've been told to go to. Yeah, that's not what Scripture's about. Because, listen, we got to fight what's ahead so we will have the muscle to keep the ground we're going to get when we get there. You might know what I'm talking about. No, I don't because you're twisting God's Word. God's Word doesn't teach this. She got like three people to clap for that. Okay. Because there is so much of a significance of gaining ground. You and I will understand that better before tonight is over. Because it's all about where he sets our feet on ground. The obstacle in the word of God is often some kind of body of water. We are going to... <laughs> so what body of water in your life is the obstacle to keep you from going to the place that God told you to go to? This is nonsense. Five scenes in the word of God that all have and are marked by waters. Five scenes in the scriptures that are marked by waters. I want to say something to those of us in this room who are older. You and I are meant to, all of our lives, starting with every one of you who are in your teens, all the way up to those in their 80s in this room. We might have somebody in our 90s in this room. I surely do hope so. You and I are meant to keep going in this journey, characterized by movement. You and I are meant to keep going until we go home. And by home, I mean capital H, see his face. What happens is this, when we decide that we're just not going to take the energy to fight the obstacle anymore, that is where we halt. It is <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. Yeah, uh, wow, she's like making up her own theology here. Not the will of God for any of us to halt. Right, whatever, don't halt, no. Yeah, you, you got to stop that halting stuff. Pun intended. I'm not saying we don't sometimes um, find a place where we serve there for years and years and years, but we are still very much moving in the things of God, moving in the things of the Spirit, moving to a different place in our relationship with Him, moving to a different place in how we serve Him, moving. So are you moving or are you halted? You know, because Genesis 1, you know, 
It's there, you know, because God created dry land, you know, from the water thingy. So you, you got to be, this, this is, I mean, this is jaw-droppingly, delusionally non-lucid. I, <laughs> what she's saying makes no biblical sense at all. And I'm going to note this, is that not once have I really heard Beth Moore rightly handle God's word. Not once. And I must say that as somebody who's been an observer of her teaching over the years, it has gotten markedly, markedly worse and less lucid and less biblical as uh, time has gone on. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading to Cross Point Church, Nashville, Tennessee, as we listen to Annie Downs about getting over being overwhelmed. Yeah, I have no idea. Stay tuned. No one to miss it. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda 
and join the fight for the faith today. Two of Fighting for the Faith, Sermon Review Time. Heading over to Crosspoint in Nashville. That's where Pete Wilson used to be. But uh, he, he left due to scandal. I don't need to say any more than that. Let's do this right. Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon uh, reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Crosspoint Church, Nashville, Tennessee. Author... Yeah, that's right. She's an author. Annie Downs presiding. She should not be doing what she's doing. Scripture forbids her from doing what you're going to hear her do. But she's going to attempt to uh, preach a sermon on uh, John chapter 4 about the Samaritan woman at the well. And the name of it is Getting Over Overwhelmed. Yeah, so you, you're overwhelmed. you got to get over the overwhelmed thingy. And... Uh, She's apparently going to explain to us how we do that from this text. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Annie Downs and getting over overwhelmed. Here we go. Thank you. That was so obedient of you to clap when Pastor Kevin told us to. Uh, it is so great to be with y'all today. Um, I did just get back from Scotland just a few days ago. Here's a map of the UK, if that will help. Um, this is England, and this is Scotland. This is Wales down here. And I was in Edinburgh. I actually used to live there a couple of years ago. So I got to go for a few days to see some friends and hang out, and it was awesome. But coming home on Monday night, I had one of those like travel experiences where you get, to, you get in the U.S., but then like none of the planes want to take you back to Nashville, right? And they just keep delaying. They're like, and now it's going to be at 7. Now it's going to be at 7.03. Now it's going to be at 8.03. And I was like... I'm never going to see Nashville again, right? Like one of those like panic that I'm really great. I'm great in times like that. You should hang out with me more when I'm panicked. Um, but I ended up not getting home till the middle of the night, Monday night and jet lagged all week, Tuesday and Wednesday were both crazy days at work. And then Thursday, our staff went to lunch together because one of the girls I work with is leaving. And so I decided on Thursday, we went to burger up in 12 South as you do. And, um, I I have no idea what this has to do with God's word. Okay. I had a salad with French fries. Duh. Because if you just eat a salad, why are you there? Um, but I also decided that I had earned a Sprite, right? Like Sprite is like my drink of choice when I'm feeling stressed about things. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to drink a Sprite. But I said to the waiter, which I say all the time, cut me off after one, right? I always say to them, just, you got, you're going to have to cut me off because otherwise I'm just going to keep going. I can just drink a lot of Sprite. I just love it. I love how sweet it is. I love how bubbly it is. I love that even in a moment like this, um, one of these is water and one is Sprite. If I was being real Nashville, I would have LaCroix, right? I mean, let's be serious. I would have LaCroix. I would not have that pure business that doesn't have a taste. I'd have the pample mousse, the um, one that is grapefruit because it's delicious. But water 
Connor and Sprite look real similar. So if you walk by me at Burger Up, you're going to think that's a healthy gal. She's eating fries with her salad, but she's drinking water, right? So, but uh, it was Sprite the whole time. It was Sprite the whole time. And I did make him cut me off. And there's two reasons. One- is, is this the sermonic version of like an Instagram photo of what you're eating? I, what is this? Is that I would just keep drinking Sprite. And the other is I kind of care what a waiter thinks about me. I don't know why. You shouldn't. It doesn't matter. He's not my real life friend. I pretend like he is, but he's not. And so I act like I I don't want him to see me drink nine Sprites. And also, this woman does not need to drink nine Sprites, right? Like, it's just too much. The problem with Sprite is that it never actually quenches my thirst. Have you noticed that? Don't tell the marketing team that because they try to tell us that that is exactly what Sprite does, but that is exactly not what Sprite does, right? I can drink it over and over and it's never going to actually take care of my thirst, right? And I think it, what's true for me and is true for you is that we're all thirsty, right? We're all thirsty for something. Clearly in this story, I'm thirsty for actual liquid, but also for this guy's approval, Right. For this random waiter who is a great dude's approval that what he thinks about me, I spend a ton of my time being thirsty for other people's approval. I don't know about you, but it's kind of one of the things that I wrestle with and have to wrestle down. And it's not actually the thirst. That's the problem. It's not us being thirsty. That's the problem. It's where we go when we're thirsty. Right. When you live for other people's approval, as I can tend to do, you will always be thirsty. It's just true. It's never going to be enough. It's just going to be like Sprite where it tastes really good and there's a hit and it's awesome. And then it goes away and all of a sudden you are thirsty again. And that is the truth of how it feels when you're just living to please other people. When you're living for something else to quench your thirst. There is this story in the Bible that I want us to look at. And and if you grew up in church like I did, you may have heard the story a bunch of times. And if that's true, I want you to like do the best you can to remove your history with it a little bit. If you've never heard it before, I think that's awesome. But if you've heard this story of this woman, then I would love for you to kind of erase what you know, because I think the story is different than you think it is. I think there are some details that may be a little different than what you've heard before. This is in John 4. If you have your Bible or if you want to look on your app, that's awesome. I'll also read it to you. This is in the message version, though, so it may sound a little different than the version. Yeah, the message is a really awful paraphrase. Nobody should be preaching from the message. You have, If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can change it to the message. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. The he in the story is Jesus. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. That's important. I need you to put like a mental sticky note right there. Now I'm going to give her credit that she's actually attempting to give us a biblical text. And not just a random string of out-of-context verses and half-verses from the Bible. So she's trying to make sense of an actual historical narrative. I'll give her props for that. Time Jesus gets to this well. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. And Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, 
how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, right? Like she's thinking immediately like, you're thinking you're going to get something different out of this well than I'm getting. And you don't even have a bucket. You have nothing, right? And this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? In my mind, she goes like living water, right? Because they did, right? Like John did when he wrote it. So I picture this one being like, uh, how are you going to get living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst. Not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. Right? Like right away, we see this interaction. I love that she goes like, why are you even talking to me? You shouldn't even be speaking to me. We are not the same. And Jesus goes like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, don't we know enough about Jesus to go like, he's always going to talk to the person everybody else thinks he shouldn't be talking to, which I like, because that's usually me. Right. And I just go like, oh, I love that about Jesus. And he's talking to her and they're having this conversation and she's going like, I can pull water out of the well. What are you talking about? And then Jesus immediately switches the conversation and goes, let's talk about the actual well you keep going to. Uh, No, Jesus was talking about himself. (laughs) Yeah, see, that's kind of the point of this text is that Jesus was pointing to himself. Let's pick up partway through. We'll we'll look at the ESV and... um, We'll start up at John chapter 4, verse 7. We'll look at the ESV because it's a good translation. It's not the only good translation on the market, but it is a, a fairly, really good one worth studying from because it is it attempts to be faithful to what the original languages say. Uh, John 4, 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So now we're getting to the nub of the matter. She perceives that Jesus is a prophet because Jesus has quite accurately described her own life. And now comes up the, the major bone of contention between the Samaritans and the Jews. Uh, the Jews are rightly worshiping in Jerusalem. The, the temple is the place where God had caused his name to dwell and where the sacrifices were to occur. The Samaritans were half-breeds, and half-breeds in the sense that they were part Jewish and part pagan, and they had idolatrously disobeyed God and set up a, an alternative place of worship uh, that they were not supposed to be worshiping at. Worshiping at. I think it's Mount Gerizim. And uh, so she brings up the the big religious debate between the Jews and the uh, and the Samaritans, and she says, "Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship." So Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father." You worship what you do not know. We, we Jews, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the woman said to him, Well, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals that he is the promised Messiah to this Samaritan woman. He didn't speak this bluntly or directly to the Jews of his own nation. Fascinating here that he's doing this with a Samaritan adulterous woman. So then his disciples came back, and they marveled and that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah, the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him, and meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white uh, for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving the wages and gathering the fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word, Jesus' word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Yeah, you'll notice that this all points to Christ. And Christ now is saying that even Samaritans are part of the great harvest for eternal life and that reapers are to be sent even to them so that they can hear that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Repent of their sins. Be forgiven. Uh-huh. Have their re relationship with God restored by Christ and what he has done for them. He is the living water, and in him 
in, in it through him in us then wells up a spring of living water to, to eternal life. That's kind of the point that he's making. But let's see where Annie is going to go with this. Right. And this is in John 4. This is verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Right? So do you notice that Jesus goes, hey, I wasn't talking about water. I was talking about you being thirsty. Right? He's like, I I wasn't just talking about what's here. I'm talking about what's in you. Because you... You're thirsty, right? It's just, and when Jesus is talking to her and he says, you're just going to be thirsty over and over again, you know it from your life and I know it from my life that, that these kind of wells are just never enough. It's just never enough. It's just never enough. And he says to her like, yeah, what kind of wells are you talking about? Cause the well she was talking about was like, you know, an actual real well. <laughs> the contrast was between, you know, natural water and living water and the living water is Christ. What wells do you think Jesus was pointing to other than himself? Does this feel like enough? And she's, no, it's never been enough. Does it feel like it's enough? That's not what Jesus was saying to her or even what she was saying. <sighs> Yeah, somebody who has not studied and showed themselves approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment and can rightly divide the word of truth is now preaching. But this woman is not permitted by God's word to be doing what she's doing. See 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 if you are confused about this. I want us to think about her for a minute because I think uh, we may have her in our minds a little differently if you have some memories with the woman at the well or some times you've heard her taught for starters. What time did she get to the well noon? Well done students. Um, she got to the well at noon and here's the thing. It actually says in Genesis when this well was created with Jacob, that the women went to the well in the evening, right? So actually she's not there when the, and and you get that right. Because at the end of their day, they're going to go to the well. They're all going to meet up and chat about all the things, right? What they made for dinner, what's been going on, what the neighbor, what they saw in the neighbor's house, right? All the things they're just going to get together at the well and they're going to chat for a little bit. They're going to draw water and then go back home for the evening. And it's cooler during that time of the day. It's a lot easier. And here she is showing up in the very middle of the day. And the- yeah, which means she doesn't really want to have her face be seen with all the other women when they normally draw water. This probably has something to do with the fact that uh, this woman has had five husbands and is currently shacking up with a fellow who is not her husband. Yeah, there's a little bit of shame that oftentimes in ancient culture went along with sexual immorality. That is part of the day. And also I was reading some commentaries and the commentaries say that that wasn't even the well that was closest to her house. So that's like me going to the Sonic on Charlotte instead of the one on eighth. That's just my story. It's fine. Um, but right. Where's my roommate? Right. Um, right. So that's, she's not even going to the well that is closest to her house. She has passed by the well that is easiest for her to go to. And she's going at a time that no one else is going to be there. That tells me a lot about how her community feels about her. Right. 
It tells me that she doesn't want to see anybody she knows. And she doesn't want to be seen by anybody she knows. She doesn't even want to sneak in when the other women are there and just dip her bucket and get out. She doesn't want to be around anybody. Right? And we also know that she's been married five times. So uh, for some reason, when I was growing up, I kind of pictured her like... And she's living with somebody who isn't her husband. Don't forget that. Um, like a risque Jasmine from Aladdin, right? Like she's 24 and kind of, right? And she's like got the little Jasmine outfit on. That's kind of what I pictured in my mind. But like if we just actually do the math that she was married five times, let's say she got married when she was 15. Ooh, but that's what they did, right? She got married when she was 15 and... For each of her husbands, she's married three years. That's a really low amount of time, probably. So it could be way more, but that's 15 years. So she's 30. She's maybe 40, right? I mean, she could have been married for a long time to some of these guys. What if she was married to one of them for 20 years, right? There's so much we don't know in the story. In fact, one of my friends, I was on the phone with a friend and we were talking about this story. And my friend says, well, you know, she was divorced five times. And I was like, no, she's had five husbands, but we don't know if she was divorced five times. She's, oh yeah, she was divorced five times in that culture, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, whoa, whoa, we don't know that, right? We know she was married five times, but what if three of those husbands died? What if some of them just left, right? What, I mean, there's so much more heartbreak to this story than a risque Jasmine, right? And she's not 24. I Googled woman at the well to get some pictures for you. We'll put that in quotes. For starters, listen, Jesus has never worn. Yeah, the first one is kind of classical Renaissance art. Yeah, Um we all know what that looks like. Boom, whoever. <laughs> okay, no, there's just no way. Jesus is ne- no. What is? And and I mean, I, I appreciate the three tones of sparkly outfits. I really do. But no way, no way. This is not a good one. Ah, mean, get out of here. Now this is a black and white photo, and uh, the uh, woman at the well is wearing a halter top and is putting lipstick on her face while looking in a compact mirror and uh, she's wearing hot pants with a really big buckle and Jesus looks like um, he was inspired his clothing was inspired by Yanni so thank you thank you thank you everything I thought when I was 13 right like no kidding for starters let me tell you what they didn't have in 30 AD that belt buckle right Come on. I mean, not, not in any planet is Jesus going to wear a scarf like a musician. <laughs> right? I mean, come on with I just, I love this so hard. I want to frame it in my house and just laugh at it. I just think it is everything funny. I mean, she is three minutes older than 22, right? I mean, this girl, this is not the woman at the well, but this is who we imagine, isn't it? We imagine this girl who, when Jesus shows up, she's just getting ready, right? That's not who we're talking about. In fact, if we actually look at the story, did Jesus walk up to her or was Jesus waiting for her there? That's a real different story than Jasmine wants us to know. What I probably think is closest is this. 40s. Old woman, 
poverty kind of clothing. Okay. Sad. Not trusting. Not sure of what's going on. Pretty sure that men aren't exactly what she hoped. Not sure why this guy's even talking to her. Right, so we don't know how our marriages ended. But, but we do know based on what Jesus says to her, because she's had five husbands and now she's with another dude. And based on how they talk to each other and based on when she showed up at the well and the well she showed up, showed up at, she clearly wants to feel some approval that she is not getting. She's thirsty. She clearly wants to feel approval that she's not getting. How are you getting that? She's going at to the well in the middle of the hottest part of the day when nobody else is there. She's clearly trying to avoid eye contact and sneers and things like that. She doesn't want to be around anybody. So notice we're psychologizing way beyond the text at this point. And I would think what um, Annie's engaging in here may be a form of psychological projecting. And I say that because of what she said at the opening of her sermon about wanting the approval of waiters and things like that. Right. And we know she wanted to be loved to, to marry five different guys, no matter how the other ones ended says, surely the next one will be enough. Surely the next one will feel right. I'm sure she didn't have dreams of being married five times. She just wanted to be loved. Right. And man, I, um, feel like I can probably relate to her more than I want to because I am the woman at the well. I am always looking for other things to tell me that I'm enough. Whether it's when I open Instagram and I see how many likes I get and I keep refreshing, waiting to hit some special number that I've decided in my head or that some particular person to like this particular post. Right? I'm asking my telephone to tell me who I am, to tell me I'm enough. Or as a single woman, am I asking dudes to tell me I'm enough? Am I asking my friends to tell me I'm enough? In my job as an author, when, when you sell a certain amount of books, now I'm enough? When yeah, that, that's not what this text is about. Um, yeah, this feels like some kind of weird group therapy that she's personally engaging in from the stage. Number in the bank, now I'm enough? And it's just never true, <laughs> right? It's just never true. I have yet to run into another well that ever takes away my thirst, right? It's just never true. I keep going to these things, asking them to take away my thirst. And they just, this one, keep being Sprite, where they taste good for a second and they're sweet. But man, in minutes, I'm thirsty again. For me and probably for you too, it's your brokenness. It's my brokenness. I should have started with my, my brokenness, my pain, 
My yeah, what is brokenness? I know what sin is, but what exactly do you mean by brokenness in this context? That's a very vague phrase, and I'm not sure what it means. Desire for your approval, for other people's approval, for someone to tell me I'm enough, will take you back to the same wells over and over again until you realize that they will not satisfy. You know this is true in your life, just like it's true. So it's going to take me to wells. What wells? My life. I keep going back. I keep going back to the same wells. Like she kept going back to man after man. I keep going back to these same wells and saying like, this time will I not be thirsty? And it is not until you believe and I believe this is not going to satisfy that anything can change. Right? It's not until then that you go like, it just doesn't satisfy. It's just never enough. I, again, I don't know what she's talking about. And this has nothing to do with this text. Whether it's switching jobs, you've had this job, now you have this job, now you have this job, now you have this job. Because you're like, I just can't find the one that makes me feel like it's enough. Or it's new cars. Or new relationships. New friend groups. Maybe it's redecorating your house over and over again. Maybe it's adding more money to your bank account because one of these days, it's just never enough. It's n- none of those things are bad. I think you should actually have money in your bank account. I think that's a good goal. Do that. Have friends, have relationships, get a job. I'm for all the things. Just don't ask them to quench your thirst, right? Don't ask them. I'm beginning to think that this is an example of moralistic, therapeutic deism. The text that she's supposedly working through explicitly says that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Savior of the world. What this is, is therapy at this point, and we're not even into any of the real big messianic revelations and Christological revelations that are so amazing in this passage. We're kind of stuck on now allegorical wells of self-worth and things like that, which is not at all what this text is about. To fill you, Jesus is the living water. It is only Jesus It is only Jesus. That may sound like a churchy answer, but I hope we've been friends long enough for you to know that in my life, I've tried a lot of things and it's only Jesus. That's it. He's only enough. What does it mean that Jesus is enough? This summer, I, um, often do personal anecdotal story now was reading through the gospels. I kept wrestling with the idea It's almost haunting the idea of multiple things of going like, if we get the new iPhone, will it be enough? If you get that next number one, will it be enough? Because when you got the number two, that was enough until your friend got the number one hit. Right? Or your promotion at work was enough until your friend got a better one. Your boyfriend was enough until your roommate got engaged. 
right? Like it's just, it's haunting almost. In the summer, I just spent a lot of time going, just watching what's going on in the world and what was going on in my life and some, with some friends in my life, I was going like, I just need some time in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first part of the new Testament. I just need to like live there for a minute because I just need to hear Jesus. You know, like I want everyone else to, and I just want to hear Jesus for a minute. And when I was reading through John, not long after, I'm going to read it out of my Bible, not long after This story in John 4 of the woman at the well, there's this part in John 6. It's here on the screen for you as well. Ooh, sorry, fancy. I think this is so interesting. John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, okay, okay. I love the Bible. This is so fun. Great cross-reference, by the way. The question is, how does this then relate back to John 4 and the big revelation of who Jesus is? In the world, is Jesus saying here? Because those are two different things. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, you're asking two different questions, right? And so what Jesus is saying, and it just jumped out at me. I love when the Bible does this, when I just go like, wait a minute, you didn't have to say it like that. Right? When you come to Jesus, you'll never go hungry But when we believe in Jesus, we won't be thirsty. That's two different things, right? So let's talk about what it means to believe so that you won't be thirsty. Okay. I think. That's a bad way to start, I think. The question is, what does the text say? For our thirst to be quenched, you have to believe that Jesus is overwhelmingly enough for you. Uh So I'm not believing him for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm believing that he's overwhelmingly enough for me. I don't know what that means. It sounds very therapeutic. What does it mean to believe that I overwhelmingly believe that Jesus is enough for me? Right. And, and I don't know what that looks like in your life. It isn't like a, here's the three points of what I have no idea what that looks like in your life. Yeah. So notice how vague this concept is means when Jesus is enough for you. I just know that you can talk straight to him yourself and you can just say, Jesus, what does it look like if you're enough for me? So I, I need to ask Jesus, Jesus, I got a re- weird question for you because I don't even know how to quantify it or qualify it. Maybe you can answer, Jesus, what does it mean for you to be enough for me? (laughs) Yeah, um, strange thing here is that uh, Christian history is not full of Christians asking these questions and receiving these answers from Christ himself. I don't know what this is. Show me that. Show me what it looks like in my life. Where are these other wells I'm going to? And what does it mean if you're enough for me? Right. And then, and then the second thing is that you have to believe that just like the woman in John four, Jesus has seen every well you've gone to. He, he's seen all of them, man. He knows all the wells you go to, man. I don't even know what that means. He's seen every time you've gone back to the same ones, everything you've done, every time you've asked something else, if you're enough, he's seen. Are, are you talking about sin here? Because, I, again, I feel like we're doing therapy here, you know. That's not biblical or Christian or anything. 
couple of those and he still overwhelmingly loves you. And in fact, he got to the well first this time. And you've got to believe that. Yeah, so he got to the well first, right? Yeah. This is weird. You've got to believe that. That he's seen it all. And he's still way down with you. He's way down with me. Because he's seen all the wells. Right, he's seen it all. Yeah, I, I know about Jesus bleeding and dying for all of my sins and forgiving me and reconciling me to the Father. I'm aware of that. This, I, nope, not, nothing sounds even remotely familiar with what you're talking. He is overwhelmingly loving you still. That's the overwhelmed I want to feel. I want to be overwhelmed with getting people's approval. I want to be over. See, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. I recognize and understand that what you're talking about. I, I, it, yeah, no, it, it's as if you got me hanging over a cliff and you're, you've put, you know, some kind of weird oil or something on the cliff edge. And I am having a real hard time hanging on to this. And I feel like I'm about to fall off into the abyss. Whelmingly sure that he loves me even though he's seen it all. And he has. And then what happens? We believe those things. We walk in those things. I want you to see what the woman at the well does. I wish we had a name for her. Let's make it up. I don't know. I won't. I'll come up with something dumb and embarrass all of us. But I wish we knew her name. We're going to look at this. John 4, verse 28. Actually, I'm going to back up to 27 just because I like it. Sorry. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Like at this point, they're like, Jesus, you're not, okay, whatever. Right. They're like, she's not, well, fine. Right. Like they just show up and he's literally talking to the exact person that he shouldn't be talking to. And they're like, Jesus. Right. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, we don't even have time to go there. She leaves the thing that she has been depending on to make her not thirsty anymore. We ain't got the time, but go there on your own. Go there on your own. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Right? So immediately she turns around and goes into town where we have already talked about. She's not even welcome. Right? She goes back into town and she says, you guys, you guys, remember me? I married all those people. Listen, um, you've got to come see this guy. I think he's the Messiah. He told me everything I've ever did. Right? It's unbelievable. And then down in verse 39. Yeah? No? Did I mess it up? Yeah, I didn't go backwards. Sorry. (laughs) I'm a treat. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. I'm going to keep reading because I like it. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. So they are believers now that Jesus is enough for them. 
Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Right? She goes. Yeah. What does it mean that Jesus is the savior of the world? There are so many clear cross references to this that would literally require us to preach the law, proclaim repentance, call people to repent of their wickedness, their ungodliness, their sins, and to be forgiven by the crucified and risen Savior who loved them so much that he bled and died in their place on the cross for their sins. Back out, knowing that she's accepted, knowing who she is. She tells her story. How about forgiven, not accepted, forgiven. He's the Savior of the world. All these people who've rejected her and they go, we believe it too. And it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. I put this on your outline. When you know you are overwhelmingly accepted. Accepted. No, we are not accepted. We are forgiven. There's a difference, huge difference, night and day difference. Accepted means that God basically just, you know, I accept you just the way you are. Forgiven says you were a rebel and I had to bleed and die for you and give you a pardon. Living water flows out of you and you are brave with your life and with your story. Right? That's what Jesus brave with my life and story. I, I, yeah. Sounds like a chick flick. He didn't just promise to quench her thirst, right? What he said is, you will be a spring of water flowing out onto other people. Not only will you not be thirsty, other people won't be thirsty. And that's the amazing part of the story. She goes and tells her story and they go, okay, we believe because of you. And then they go out there and go, I mean, we believe because of you, but now we really believe because of him. And I love that. It just takes the pressure off of us a little bit, doesn't it? where we don't have to have all the right answers. We just have to have our story. Uh, what? I used to think this was enough for me and it was never enough. And then Jesus was enough. And then you just float that out there to your people. Yeah. Just float that out there. And yeah, and all the guys are going, I have no idea what she's talking about, but wow. Sure to sound spiritual. Cause she said the word Jesus and you see what happens. And then Jesus takes over. He does the hard work. He shows up at their well too. Yeah. It, has Jesus shown up at your well yet? Right. You go, come and see this guy who told me everything I ever did. And he still loves me. And then they believe too. It's, it's incredible. I read a tweet the other day. You're welcome. I'll share it with you. Um, and it said, you are dangerous to the enemy. No, I, I, I really am not. And it's probably a good idea to really not get your theology from Twitter. Yeah. You value what God says more than the affirmation of others. You are dangerous to the enemy when you value what God says more than the affirmation of others. You know, sounds pithy. It's yeah, but it doesn't mean anything. These are just completely empty words. We have an actual enemy. In fact, in John 10, it says that the enemy comes to steal. Yeah, those are the false teachers. Read it in context. John 9 verse 1 is where you start with the context for John 10 there. 
Um, and you'll see that the, the, the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, it's not the devil. It's the false teachers who jump the fence who are teaching things they are not authorized to teach. Kill and destroy. And you are dangerous to him when you believe that you are accepted. No. Forgiven. Big difference. You're getting everybody else with the living water. This sounds, actually smells, yeah, that's a stagnant, scummy pond water kind of thingy that she's spewing right there. Right? No. He can't stop a spring of water. You're getting everybody. And that is your testimony. No, really, it's not. Right? No. I just wonder when this morning... What's going through your mind when you think of other wells that you've gone to? Right. I don't even know what you're referring to. I drink water from the tap. We have city water here in North Dakota, you know. Got here just a couple days ago. It's revolutionized my life. That have felt overwhelmingly attractive. And surely this time it will be enough. And it, it just never is. Right. I hope we've been friends long enough that you believe me. It just never is. I have no idea what you're talking about. It just never is. But luckily, Jesus always is. Right, yeah. He he just is, man. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. He always is enough. Let me pray for us. Wow, that was painful. Moralistic therapeutic deism, a mishandling of the biblical text, um, and a false gospel that God, you know, just accepts you. No, the good news is that Christ died for our sins. Big difference. Uh, The gospel is that God in Christ forgives you, pardons you, redeems you, things like that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I'm just saying it never ends well when you openly defy and stand in defiance against the clear word of God, which clearly says that women are not to preach in Christ's church. Wow. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.